Good to see you, Sage Mon. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. And um, what we're doing is we're continuing through our series on the Beatitudes today. And uh, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at the last two. And today, we're, we're going to be looking at Blessed Are the Peacemakers. And next week, we're going to be um, looking at Blessed Are the Persecuted. And what's interesting about these final two Beatitudes is that they are far and away um, the most difficult to live out, in my opinion. You know, for lack of better words, these last two Beatitudes are, are, are what I'd like to call varsity Christianity. Um, in my 25 years of ministry, I, I have seen way too many people claim that they were Christians, and then they'd hear sermons on blessed are the peacemakers, or, or blessed are those who persecuted, and they say amen. But when they were actually faced with the call to be a peacemaker in their lives, or when they actually received persecution in their lives, they weren't willing to live these things out. And so before I look at the text today, I wanna ask you one question, and it's this. Do you really believe that the way of Jesus Christ is the only path to true blessing? Do you really believe with all your heart that the way of Jesus is the path to real happiness and blessing? Because if you really don't believe that, if deep down inside you really don't believe that, you're never gonna allow these two things to be lived out in your life. But at the same time, I want you to keep in mind that Jesus says if you are a son or you are a daughter of God, if you're a child of God, you're going to. And so let's jump in. Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Sorry for the casual clothing today. Um, it is really warm in the sanctuary. We're having air conditioning problems, and so I apologize. I'm not doing this intentionally. But anyway, let's read this together. Matthew chapter five, verse nine. Jesus is speaking, coming down the home stretch of the Beatitudes, and he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, I want us to take a second, and I want you to look at the word peacemaker. I'm gonna have that on the screen. I want you to look at the word peacemaker there. Notice that Jesus doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said blessed are the peacemakers makers. Now, it's certainly true that Christians are going to keep the peace in, uh, where conflict does not exist. The word peacemaker carries with it the idea that a Christian's going to bring peace, or a Christian is going to make peace in a situation where conflict does exist. And Sagemont, that's a lot more difficult to do. Just think about it. When you're in a relationship with someone, it's hard enough for you to sort of keep the peace in that relationship, but it's entirely more difficult to be a person that takes the initiative to make peace when those relationships are in conflict, especially if you're in a conflict with someone that's really hurt you or really offended you or really wounded you. But that's what Jesus is talking about in this beatitude. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now let's take a second and let's look at what Jesus says is the result of us being peacemakers. Let's look at the text again. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now I want you to notice something here. 
I want you to notice that Jesus, what he doesn't say, he doesn't say blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called followers of God. He doesn't say blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called disciples of God. He said blessed are the peacekeepers for they will be called sons or you could say daughters of God. That when you are a person that brings peace in a situation where there is no peace, you are his child is what he's saying. Now, what does that mean? I think Jesus intentionally chose those words that you're a son of God because if you're being a peacemaker, then what you're doing is you're reflecting the character and the nature of your heavenly father, okay? Um, and, And let me ask you this. What is the character and what is the nature of God that we're called to reflect? Well, in 2 Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 11, don't turn there, just listen. 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 11, Paul says, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And then watch what it says next. It says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. He says, and the God of love And the God of peace will be with you. Did you catch that? He says that God is love. He says that God is peace. Church, love and peace is literally who he is. It is is his very character and it's his very nature. And, And on top of that, peace is not only who he is, but peacemaking is one of the primary things that our heavenly father does. In Colossians 1.20, he says this. Paul says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of the cross. The scripture's saying that that's what Jesus did at the cross. When you hadn't earned it, when you hadn't deserved it, when you deserved death, when you deserved hell, he came, he died on a cross, and he made peace with you through his blood. Jesus is a peacemaker. And so the reason that Jesus says that you're going to be called a son of God or a daughter, daughter of God when you make peace in a situation where there is no peace is because when you do that, you are reflecting the character and the nature of your heavenly Father, and I was thinking about my children and sort of what makes me the proudest about them. And it hit me that what makes me the proudest about my kids is not that they share my DNA or not that they look like me, but what really makes me the proudest of them is when I actually see them reflecting the best aspects of my character and the best aspects of my nature. Give you, give you an example a couple of years ago, um, my son JD was on a mission trip with my former church, and he was given the opportunity on that mission trip to basically stand up in front of a large group of orphans that were there and preach and share the gospel. And after it was over, a few of the youth leaders sort of texted me and said something to the um, form of this. They said, Matt, you won't believe what just happened. So J.D. stood up and he began to preach and he began to speak and he said, man, when that started, the spirit just fell on him. He said it was powerful. And one of the guys that wrote me said, Matt, he's got the same gift as you. He said, it's very obvious. He said, it was very obvious in that moment 
that he was your son. Now listen, I don't think I've ever been more proud of him in his whole life than in that moment. And J.D.'s accomplished a lot of things. I mean, J.D. Carter, he was valedictorian of a senior class. He was a two-time first-team All-State quarterback, got accepted in A&M into business honors. He's done a lot of amazing things to which I'm proud of him, but I don't think I've ever been more proud of him than when I got that text. And it says, when he was preaching, the Spirit of God moved, and he was obviously your son. I was beaming from ear to ear. And so that's what makes us children of God. We are, we are changed. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. And then Jesus says that when we're peacemakers, we're called sons and daughters of God because there's very few things that you're gonna do on this planet that better reflect the character and nature of your heavenly father than when you're making peace in a situation where there is no peace. Now, before we can become peacemakers, we need to get our minds around what um, Jesus means by the word peace. There's a very specific meaning of it. What is this peace that you and I are supposed to be bringing and making when conflict arises? You know, when we hear the word peace, we think it, in our minds, we think it just means the stopping of a conflict. But the word, that, word in the scripture that's most often used for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And the word shalom has a, has a really, it's a far deeper meaning than just the stopping of a conflict. Um, the word shalom carries with it the idea of flourishing or wholeness. It's a word that means really complete and total restoration back to its original state of peace. And here's the thing, there have been times in my life where I've been in conflict with someone and I'll sort of get to the place where I'm not mad anymore. I kind of forgive them in my heart and so the conflict stops. But since they've hurt me, since they've wounded me, and I may not really like them that much in that moment, I don't take that extra step of pursuing shalom or restoration or flourishing or reconciliation in that relationship. But that's what Jesus is saying is the goal of peacemaking is that we're pursuing reconciliation. We're, we're pursuing full restoration of the relationship, and that's not easy to do. But here's the thing. We know that that's the call in our lives. We know that's what Jesus means uh, when he says peacemaking. He's talking about reconciliation because that's what Jesus did for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So all this, is, all this is from God, who through Christ Jesus, God reconciled us to himself. When we sinned and we fell short of the glory of God, God didn't just, you know, get to a place where he's like, all right, I'm cool, I'm all right, I'm, I'm not angry or whatever, but he actually took the unimaginable step of coming to this planet and dying on a cross so that our relationship with him would be fully restored, and fully reconciled. And so did you catch, by the way, what he said next in 2 Corinthians 5, 18? He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, full restoration. And, and then it says, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
because God took that unbelievable step of dying for us and fully reconciling our relationship to him, then the scripture says now God has given you, those who have been reconciled to him, the ministry of reconciliation out there in the world. And so let's spend some time, let's, let's take a look at what is this peacemaking actually going to look like, okay? We're called to do it. We're sons and daughters of God when we do it. What does it look like? Well, if you're taking notes today, there's two steps. I think there's two steps in what peacemaking looks like. Here's the first one, is that peacemakers initiate reconciliation. Peacemakers are going to be the initiators of that reconciliation. And this is one of the main reasons that at the beginning of the message, I said that this was varsity Christianity. Especially when you're in a situation or a conflict where you didn't cause the conflict or, or you offended somebody, but you didn't mean to do it. To be the initiator of peace is not an easy thing to do. But when we're, um, when we're in conflict with somebody, what's our natu- uh, kind of natural inclination? I don't know about you, but my tendency when I'm in conflict with someone is sort of just keep my distance from them or to kind of fold my arms and give them the silent treatment until they repent, right? But watch what Jesus says that we're to do when we find ourselves in conflict. In Matthew chapter five, verse 24. He says, if therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Jesus is talking about a situation. You've come to church, you're getting ready to worship and then all of a sudden it hits you there's somebody out there that has something against me. What does he say to do? In verse 25, he says, leave your offering therefore before the altar and go your way. And then he says, first be reconciled to your brother and then you come and present your offering. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if, if, if you're worshiping and it, and it sort of hits you, there's somebody out there that has something against me, even if I didn't mean to do it, even if I didn't mean for that to happen, Jesus says that you don't sit there and, and pray and worship that God would change their heart so that they can be reconciled to you. He said, if that hits you, somebody has something against you, he said, you get up. You stand up. And you go make the first move. You be the initiator of reconciliation. You go be reconciled to your brother, whether you cause it or not. Jesus doesn't give that that much information. He says, you just do it. And church, I think this is absolutely critical for us. Because I don't think, and I want you to hear this. I don't think there is a greater sort of height or greater level of hypocrisy than a person that comes into church and celebrates the peace that they have with God, but at the same time refuses to pursue peace with people that they're in conflict with. And so being an initiator of peace is a really difficult thing to do. Nobody likes to do it. But I want you to remember what Jesus promises us if we'll actually do it. Let's read it one more time, Matthew 5, 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Jesus just told us that the highest experience of human blessing, that the highest experience of human satisfaction and and, and happiness that we can achieve in this life is when we are peacemaking. And guys, I want you to know something. 
I found that to be true in my life. You know, for years, when my wife Jennifer and I would get in an argument, and yes, we, we do get in arguments sometimes. I know that's hard to believe, me being a preacher, but it happens. And neither of us, for years, would be willing to be the person to initiate reconciliation. I'd sort of stand there with my arms folded saying, hey, you know, you've hurt me. You need to change. Um, I'm gonna sort of sit here till you get your act together. And then if you repent, then maybe I'll forgive you. Well, at the very same time, she'd do the same thing. She'd be standing there saying, well, you've hurt me. You need to change. So I'm gonna sit here with my arms folded and wait till you get your act together. And, and then maybe if you say you're sorry, then I'll forgive you. And so neither one of us was willing to be the peacemaker. And so what do you think happened? Well, a lot of times there was no peace. But over the years, that's, that's sort of changed as we've grown in the Lord. One of the most transformational things that's happened in our marriage is when both of us got to the place where we were committed to being the first person to initiate reconciliation when we were in a conflict. In other words, when conflicts occur, now regardless of who is at fault, both of us try to initiate peace. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Do you know how difficult it is to stay in a conflict when both people in the conflict are trying to initiate peace? Guys, it's almost impossible. And so I know it's crazy I know it's crazy, but you need to hear it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, and it turns out he's right. No, that's crazy, but Jesus knew what he was talking about. A little side note here. that has really nothing to do with the sermon, but I think it's important to remember that, that, that this right here is the reason that you need to never marry a non-believer. If you're single hearing this, you never marry a non-believer. One, the scripture tells us not to do that. And, and the other thing is this, is that the reason the scripture tells us not to marry a non-believer is because when things get tough in a marriage, and they inevitably do at some point in your marriage, then the last thing that a person who doesn't walk with Jesus is gonna wanna do is be the initiator of peace. It's just the last thing they're gonna wanna do. They're not gonna wanna do it. But if you're married to someone that is poor in spirit, if you're married to someone that mourns their sin, if you're married to someone that, that demonstrates meekness and they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and they are showing mercy and they're pure in heart when things get really hard and they always do, that they will choose Jesus. They will choose to honor him. That person that's walking with Jesus will desire to be a peacemaker where the person that isn't walking with Jesus will never desire to be a peacemaker. And so that's number one. Peacemakers initiate reconciliation. Here's an important question. How do we pursue reconciliation? How do we make peace with someone that it's difficult or maybe even impossible to make peace with? What does it look like for us to pursue reconciliation in situations where reconciliation is actually impossible? And those exist. Um, I was dealing with a married couple a couple of years ago and the husband, bless his heart, was just being an absolute idiot. He, he cheated on her. He left, the, left her and the kids. He refused to stop drinking. He was, he was abusive. 
um, in a lot of different ways. And so for the wife to pursue full reconciliation with him was impossible because if she tried to pursue reconciliation with him, she just kind of encountered more abuse. So it was difficult or impossible to do. I've seen business partners where one of them was a believer, one of them was not a believer, and something happened, business still went sour, went south, and it sort of fractured their relationship, and that non-believer absolutely refused to reconcile with his business partner. What about situations where somebody actually hates you? They hate your guts. Maybe it's because of the color of your skin. Maybe it's because of your biblical beliefs, but you're dealing with a situation where somebody actually views you as an enemy and they have absolutely no desire whatsoever to reconcile with you. On situations like that where you being the initiator of peace is impossible, here's the second step to peacemaking. Peacemakers give unmerited grace. Step one, peacemakers initiate reconciliation, but that's impossible. Number two is that peacemakers give unmerited grace. Now, what does that mean? That when reconciliation might be impossible, that I give them grace. I'm gonna give you an analogy of what that looks like. I actually have a prop today, which uh, is my wallet, and uh, I'll show you in just a second. People see this all the time and they say, Matt, that's a Costanza wallet, which I'm not sure what that means, but they, anyway. Um, let me give you a story about the other night. I was driving through Pearland. It was one of my first nights um, here in Houston. I was going to Pastor Chuck's house and I was driving through Pearland and little uh, did I know that um, there was a, a, a kind of a road in the middle of Pearland. That Pearland was 45 miles per hour and then literally in sort of one yard, it drops down to 30. So it went to 45 to 30 just immediately. And I was going 46 miles an hour. I was being good, right? It was going one mile per hour over the speed limit. But then it dropped down to 30. I didn't see it. There we are. There's the lights. And the police officer pulls me over, okay? And he comes up to the window. And he says, sir, did you uh, realize you were speeding? And I said, uh, no, I didn't. He said, well, you were going 46 miles per hour in a 30, and I, I was like, man, I'm new to the area. I'm the pastor of Sagemont Church. I just got the job. I'm like, I had no clue. I just dropped down there. I didn't see it. And he didn't care. He was just kind of shaking his head. And then I was reminded of something that I'm, you guys didn't know this about me, but I'm actually the uh, chaplain of the police department in Austin. And they gave me a badge uh, a couple of years ago, which is one of the best gifts I've ever been given in my life. And so when he asked for my license and registration, I pulled out my wallet and I said, yes, I'll give you my license and registration. Here it is, like that. And then he looks at me and says, oh, are you a police officer? And I said, no, actually, I'm a chaplain of, of uh, Austin Police Department. And he's like, oh, cool. And long story short, short, he gave me a warning, which is really cool. He gave me a warning. Now, here's the question. Did he give me grace in that moment? Did he give me grace? And the answer is no, he actually gave me mercy. Let me tell you the, the difference between the two. Mercy, and I want you to listen carefully. Mercy is when you are not given something that you do deserve. You're not given something that you do deserve. Church, bottom line is, I didn't mean to, but I was speeding. In a very real sense, I deserved a ticket. I earned a ticket, but he did not give it to me. Okay, that's mercy. 
when you're, when you're not given something that you do deserve, okay? Now, here's the question. What's grace then? That's mercy. What's grace? Mercy is when you don't receive something you do deserve. Here's grace. Grace is when you do receive something that you do not deserve. Grace is when you are given something that you do not deserve. Okay, so here's what it would have looked like for that officer not just to give me mercy, but grace. It would have been him coming back to me and saying, you know what, I'm just gonna give you a warning. Didn't get something I did deserve, that's that's mercy. But grace would be him looking at me and saying, hey, not only am I just gonna give you a warning, but I see that you're low on gas. So I tell you what, um, let's go to the gas station. Let me fill up your, your truck. And then after he filled up my truck, him looking at me and saying, you know, you know what, man, obviously tonight you're in a hurry, so I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna turn my lights on. I want you to get behind me, and I'm gonna give you a police escort all the way home. And then when we get home, he pulls up beside me and says, hey, you know, man, have a good evening. And then he looks down at my tires, and he goes, oh, hey, I, I realize that you're, you're, uh, the, the tires on your truck are, are sort of worn, so I'll tell you what. And he pulls out his wallet, and he gives me like 600 bucks and puts it in my hand and says, go get you some new tires. Church, that's grace. Grace is when you give someone something that they do not deserve and they have not earned. Scripture says that you and I were saved by grace through faith, and it says it's not of works. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is an undeserved gift. And so you and I were given a salvation church that we did not deserve and we had not earned. And that's the call on the life of the peacemaker. Even when reconciliation is impossible, what you do is you give them undeserved grace. Now, later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually tells us what this is gonna look like when we give someone grace where reconciliation may not be possible. Turn with Matthew Matthew chapter five again, Look at verse um, 50, or excuse me, 5 verse 40. Jesus says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, watch what he says. He says, let them have your cloak as well. You see that? You're giving someone undeserved grace. He says, someone takes your tunic or they sue you, you turn around and you give them your cloak. And he goes on in verse 41, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, that's oppression. In the Roman, uh, Roman days back then, they would come up, the Roman soldiers would come up along a, a Jewish guy and they would say, hey, here's my armor. I want you to carry it for one mile. It was, it was oppression. And, and Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, you go with them two miles. And so he's giving this example of somebody that's stolen from you or sues you or is oppressing you. And what he says is that your response should be generosity. Your response should be grace. He says, when when someone takes from you, you don't take from them in return. You don't seek revenge. He says, but rather you give back to them above and beyond what they took from you. That's grace. And as much, guys, as that stinks, and as much as that's really, really hard to do, when you show grace, when you give generosity to a person that has taken from you, you're showing them a picture of what Jesus' love looks like. And that's what peacemakers do. Look at Matthew chapter five, verse 43. 
Here's another example of what giving grace to someone looks like. In verse 43, he says, you have heard it said that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That's grace, okay? He's saying uh, and teaching us specifically here what peacemaking looks like when you're dealing with an enemy, when you're dealing with someone that actually hates you. Reconciliation is impossible, and Jesus tells us to do two things in that, in that moment, that situation. The first thing he says, he says is you don't hate them back. They hate you, it hits you. That person hates me, that group of people hates me. He says, step one, you do not hate them back. And I, I'll tell you this, is that I know in times of my life when I've been truly hurt or someone's actually betrayed me, I don't know about you, but my initial flesh, fleshly reaction is to sort of loathe them in return. Jesus says you don't do that. Someone hates you, you don't hate them in return, but you respond by giving them love. It's grace. You give them unmerited favor. They hate you. You love them. That's the first thing. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, there's a second thing I want you to do when you encounter a situation where reconciliation is impossible and you got to give them grace. Look at Matthew 5, again. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. He said, when somebody hates you, one, you respond with love. And he said, the second thing you do is you pray for them. You pray for them. I can't tell you how hard and how difficult that is to do. When someone has wounded you, hurt you, or they actually can't stand you, they hate you, they don't like you, it is a really difficult thing to pray for that person. But here's what I've found, is that when we actually do that, when someone's wounded you, hurt you, hate you, and you stop and you pray for them, what I've found is that God may not change their heart, but when you pray for them, God will change your heart. It's almost impossible to hate somebody that you're praying for, okay? Now, that leads us to a pretty important question. How are we supposed to pray for these people that hate us? What are we supposed to pray? Well, um, I'll tell you what it's not supposed to look like. I was at lunch on Wednesday with a couple. They were an older couple, and they, I loved them. They were amazing, and they were sort of telling their story and their testimony. And the wife got saved before the husband did. Um, she, they were both sort of not walking with the Lord. She came to church here at Sagemont, radically saved, she starts walking with Jesus, but the husband didn't. And he was sort of a mess still. He, he drank a lot, he'd go to bars, he'd get in fights. She'd be getting up on Sunday morning, get ready to go to church, and he'd be laying there on the couch, hungover, and she said something that I wasn't expecting, and I laughed out loud when she said it. She said, Matt, I got so frustrated with him, I was so mad at him, that there was a point that I got down on my knees, and she said, Father, I pray that you would kill him in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's not how we're supposed to pray for people who have hurt us. She really did, and she's changed now, but she's like, God, I pray that you would kill him in Jesus' name. We're not supposed to pray that way for people that are our enemies. Jesus tells us actually how we're supposed to pray in Luke chapter six, verse 27. Jesus said, but I say to you, 
who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And then look at verse 28. He said, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. So when somebody wounds you, somebody offends you, somebody frustrates you, somebody hates your guts, your response is not to offend or to hate in return or pray that God takes them out, but what Jesus is saying there is you actually pray for their blessing. Think about how radical that is. Someone hates you and you pray for their blessing. I'm gonna tell you a story about me. Uh, I actually lived this out. It was about three years ago. And um, I got an email from a young guy. He was 25. I didn't really know him. And church, it was hands down the meanest email I've ever gotten in my 25 years of ministry. I get pretty mean emails from people on a regular basis, but this one was, this one took the cake. It was next level. He didn't just insult me as a pastor, but he got really personal. I mean, it's almost funny now, but he insulted my preaching. He insulted the way that I dressed. Um, he, he called me horrible names. He, guy even insulted my hair. <laughs> he said, you and your slick back hair. And I wanted to tell him like, man, my hair is like the hair that just sticks out everywhere. If I don't put some gel in it, then it just sticks out. But anyway, I couldn't tell him that. But bottom line, it was, an, it was evil. It was so mean-spirited. I was stunned. And Sagemont, here's the thing. I was hurt. I'm a human. That, it hurt. I didn't mean to offend this guy. I was insulted. And I'm gonna tell you something else. I'm gonna be totally honest with you. I was mad. I was mad. And in that moment, maybe you've been there. I was mad. And in my flesh, in that moment, I really did want to repay evil for evil. And I'm going to tell you a true story. What I wanted to respond to this guy. Here's how I wanted to respond to him. And I almost did it. I wanted to respond to him. I wanted to write back to him. Okay, young man. That's how you feel. Here's my address. Why don't you come meet me in my backyard and come say that to my face? That's what I wanted to say to him. But before I wrote it, thankfully, the Holy Spirit reminded me of this verse. And so in that moment, I prayed for him. I prayed for his blessing. I prayed this, something, something like this. I said, God, I know, I know this guy's hurting. He wouldn't be responding to me this way if he wasn't in a bad place, if he wasn't hurting and so I said, Father, would you bless his life? I said, Father, would you heal this man's heart? And something happened when I started praying for him. God started changing my heart towards him. And I responded, but I responded in kindness. I wrote him back and I said, Brother, I am so sorry that I offended you. I said, when I got into the ministry, the last thing I ever wanted to do was be one of these pastors that was a jerk or offended people or hurt people. And so I said, I said, brother, would you please forgive me? I'm so sorry. Would you please find it in your heart to forgive me? And I meant it. When I prayed for his blessing, God changed my heart. I meant that. I didn't hear from him for about six months. Sent the email, silence. 
And then out of the blue, six, five, six months later, this guy emails me back. And he said, Pastor, I, I realize now that I was in a dark place. And I never should have spoken to you that way. He said, would you please forgive me? Church, to show him grace, to pray for his blessing, was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. But Jesus is saying that is what peacemakers do, okay? Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, guys, almost done here. Here's a sermon in a nutshell. Jesus teaches us that you and I are sons and daughters of the Lord when we reflect his character and his nature by making peace. And that's gonna mean that you're gonna be the initiator of reconciliation. But it also means when reconciliation is difficult or impossible, you give grace, which means that you don't respond to hate with love, you respond in generosity, and you pray for your enemy's blessing. Now listen, I've been doing this long enough to know that some of you are hearing this today. And there's some people coming to mind that have hurt you, wounded you, that you're in conflict with, insulted you, don't like you, hate you. And you're thinking, Pastor Matt, I, I just don't know if I can do this. I don't know that I can be the initiator of peace. <laughs> I don't know that I can give this person grace, unmerited favor, give them things they don't deserve in light of everything they've done to me. Pastor Matt, I don't, I don't know if I can pray for this person's blessing because they've hurt me so badly. Guys, if that's you, I want you to remember something that I said last week. I said that these final two Beatitudes are so difficult to live out that you simply will not be willing to do them unless you live out last week's verse. You remember what last week's verse is? Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so what that's saying is when you strive for an unmixed heart, when you strive for a heart that's solely focused on Jesus, Jesus said you're gonna see God, which means that you're going to experience God in the fullest way possible this side of heaven. And church, when you do that, when you have a pure heart and you see God and you experience him, here's what you're gonna see and here's what you're gonna experience. It's in Ephesians chapter two, verse 13. Paul tells us, but now in Christ Jesus, listen carefully, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is your peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Guys, Jesus left the joy and he left the comfort of heaven and he came to this planet and he was tortured and he was crucified and he died to tear down the wall of hostility between you and him and to bring you near to him and to make you and him one. It's unbelievable. And so I think the reason that peacemaking is so difficult. I think the reason that it's so hard is because most of the time, all we see in front of us is the person that's offended us. 
The reason that making peace is so hard is because all we see in front of us is the person that hates us. And so guys, hear this, I'm done. The only way, the only way that you will ever make peace with someone that has truly hurt you and truly wronged you is when you look into the eyes of the one you wronged, the one you sent to the cross, and yet he made peace with you. You gotta look past the person that hates you and look into the eyes of the one that you wronged and sent to the cross, and yet he made peace with you. That's the only way you'll ever be willing to be a peacemaker. But Jesus says if you'll actually do that, if you'll look back at that person that hates you and you make peace and you give grace, the scripture says, Jesus says that you will be called a son and a daughter of God. Let's pray together. Father, this is one of the most difficult texts in all the scripture to live out. To be a people, to be a church that makes peace with people that hate us. To be the initiators of reconciliation, to to give people grace and to pray for blessing of people that can't stand us. God, that is so difficult to do. Father, I pray when those times come and they're coming, if they're not already there, I pray that we would look past the person that hates us and we would look at your face, the one that made peace with us. And that we would live out as sons and daughters of God what you called us to. Father, if there's any within the sound of my voice that have never received the peace that you offer them through the blood of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and that they would do that. And today, they would ask that you would forgive them of their sins. You would tear down the dividing wall of hostility. You'd draw them near and make them one. Father, we ask these things today in Jesus' name so that we can be a church full of peacemakers. So we ask it in your name, God, for your glory. Amen.